Greetings, Amigops, and Top Teners everywhere. Welcome back to another edition of Top 10 with Kyle and Mike. I am your co-host, Kyle. Opposite me today, as he is every week, is your co-host, Michael. He is grooving. He's bopping. He's going back and forth. He's wearing a very flattering white t-shirt and nothing else. Today, as we do every week, uh, one of us will be bringing a top 10 list to the table. This week, it's Mike's list. I have no idea what the topic is. No clue. But Mike has made a top 10 version of this list. He will relay it to me, at which point we will vigorously debate. And by the end of this episode, hopefully relatively short, we will have arrived at a definitive version of this list. And so, Michael, what will we be discussing today? All right, Kyle. Well, you mentioned that I was wearing a t-shirt and nothing else. I just want the listeners to know that is truly nothing else. I'm doing the Winnie the Pooh right now and feeling some lovely breeze on my underparts. Um, So you captured that accurately. That's good. It's probably not as breezy as the Hundred Acre Woods, but you look happy, so. Yeah, well, it's it's sufficiently breezy. I'll leave it at that. Um, So so I I was tasked with uh, the list this week, and... I was actually just talking to you about a show that I I don't know how much you've watched, but I want you to to be sure that you're totally caught up. And that show is Better Call Saul, because Better Call Saul is a truly magnificently crafted television show, beautifully written, beautifully acted, shot, all of the things that go into a television show. Now, I am leaving Better Call Saul to the side for now, because it is very much a work in progress. I think most of our listeners will either not have watched the show or won't be caught up or whatever. So I don't want to go there. However, the listeners may know that Better Call Saul is a spinoff of a pretty well-known television show called Breaking Bad. Oh. Now, Breaking Bad is an excellent television show. It has been listed to death. I want to do our list of this show regardless um there's a lot of different ways to talk about uh breaking bad the way i want to talk about it is in terms of its characters because i think when people talk about breaking bad they make the mistake of talking too much about walter white now we will be talking about walter white um as a little bit of a spoiler a little bit later on in the list but (laughs) there are a lot of characters on this show that make it what it is and it's clear to me particularly as i watch better call saul that this fictional universe, this fictional take on Albuquerque, New Mexico, would not be the same without the secondary characters, without the primary characters. So just all of the characters populating this world. So that's what we're going to talk about. We are going to do a ranking of the top 10 best characters on Breaking Bad. Whoa. Yeah. So this is not a uh, a minor characters list like we've done before. This is no. all characters this is are on the all table. All characters are on the table. Uh, because this show is interesting in the way it approaches minor versus major characters. It really kind of blends and shifts as the show goes on in a way that I think is really cool. Yeah. So it would be tough to make meaningful distinctions. Um, I also think there's a lot of characters who you might call secondary who are just as important to the show as the primary characters. So Yeah, it's hard hard to do that it's not it's hard to do it for shows that aren't like like the shows we've already done it for yeah like, like a sitcom and, a sitcom yeah. really is it, it plays well to that because you typically get these off the wall characters who come in for an episode do something funny and then leave that's not really how breaking bad works 
Um, but just to be clear, I think this is probably clear based on the show. We will not be ranking these people in terms of quality of personhood. That list would be <laughs> tough to assemble. So this is not the list of like the best kindest citizens of Albuquerque. This is the best characters, the most fully fleshed out and compelling characters. Excellent. Yeah. Uh, I'm very excited. We, yeah. I miss this show and like, because there's so much to do and watch, like, I don't know when I'm ever going to yeah. get back to watching this show, like in its entirety, but yep. that's a shame because hot damn, this is one of the best shows I've ever watched. A hundred percent. And actually I just, I, I spoke a little bit. This is not just the most fleshed out characters. It, it's characters who I think contribute the most to the quality of the show. I think it's probably an important distinction because some of these characters are fairly one dimensional in their actual character, but still add something important to the show, if that makes sense. Absolutely. Yeah. So them is the rules. Any questions about the rules or are we good to dive in? Let's do this. Okay. All right. So I, the way I did it, cause there's just so many I'm going to do, I'm going to work on the body of the top 10. I have some honorables, some not tops, some extended honorables, and then a couple of could have used a little more of them. So a lot to work through, but I will keep it. I'll keep it crisp. So let's do it. Um, so I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna give you the character, and I'm gonna give you what I consider to be their defining moment or one of their sort of most important moments for me as a viewer. So number ten is Marie Schrader. This is uh, Walter White, the main character, uh, his sister-in-law. She is Skylar White's sister. Some of the most important things about her are that she likes the color purple a lot. Not the... Not the film. No, to be clear, <laughs> yeah. not the film starring Oprah Winfrey. She, well, she might. She, but... Frankly, she probably does because she probably has the yeah. poster somewhere. But she loves the actual uh, color purple. And she yeah. loves shoplifting. And she yeah. loves knowing what's going on in people's lives. So Yeah, she's nosy as shit. Nosy as shit. So right off the bat, you're listening to me, and it sounds like a caricature of a character and the type of character who wouldn't add anything to a show. Importantly, she is one of the funniest characters on the show, and this is an extremely funny show, something that does not come across unless you actually watch it. I agree. Um she is funny. She's also kind of like a, uh, she's like the only one of like the core core characters that isn't fucking involved with all of this shit. So she's like kind of a third party to it. Yeah. Like not really. She's obviously involved, but not like in the same capacity that the rest of the characters are. Yeah. That are that close to it. So she provides an interesting perspective. Um, for, <laughs> but yeah, I totally, man, I, there's so much shit you forget. Like, I forgot about that whole shoplifting. Right? It's her. easy to forget. So the thing about yeah. Marie is I actually had one listed, but now that I'm thinking about it, she has two that I think are important to note because they're so different and both contribute a lot to her character. So the the scene that I had initially noted is the the very pivotal and very hilarious hospital scene with her husband, Hank. Hank has been incapacitated in a gunfight and believes that he is paralyzed and can't leave the hospital. And Marie, in very hilarious fashion, convinces him to leave the hospital if she can get him to achieve an erection while in the hospital, and coaxes a boner out of him. And it's just like a hilarious but also heartwarming scene uh, of her just trying to get him to get a boner. So that's 
a really funny scene that's really important. But this other scene now that I just remembered is very much near the end of the show. She tells Walter after she's found out like kind of all that what's going on that he should kill himself and basically to leave her sister out of it. So here's a character who kind of two of her biggest moments are jacking her husband off and telling her brother-in-law to commit suicide to save her sister from criminal implication. <laughs> and both make perfect sense. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they, they truly do. <laughs> I like when Hank tells her, uh, <laughs> they're minerals, Marie. They're not rocks. <laughs> that's a funny scene. She keeps saying rocks. Yeah, so that's Marie. Very important character to the show. Yeah, he's Comic Hank relief, but like also that. a little bit of a... No. But yeah. comic relief, but also a little bit of a kind of conscience slash divorce from the bullshit that's actually happening at the core of this show. Last note, it, and this is just like such epic writing. Like, they never, ever, ever call out any attention to the fact that she likes purple so much, other than the fact that she's always wearing purple. And like everything yeah, literally in her house never. Is like purple. her coffee pot, her teapot, her towels, everything is purple. Her car. But they, like, it's. It's in your face, but it, they never like explicitly address it, and it yeah. like it's just such a, such a weird like perfect detail that is a hallmark of the show. But please continue. No, hundred percent. That's a good note. Um, all right. So number nine is a character who we didn't know for that long, but who plays in a very important role in the show, and that is Gail Bedecker. So, do you want to explain Gail, Gail. for the audience? Yeah, so it's somewhere in like the middle seasons, Walter gets involved in an established methamphetamine uh, production that's like very much up and running. Yeah, and uh, very the, corporate. the guys that he works very corporate, like punch in, punch out kind of shit. And his coworker, like actually a coworker, basically at this point, <laughs> in every sense of the word, yeah. is Gail, and he's like kind of his assistant, but also appear in in producing this methamphetamine and uh he's just like goofy as shit and like not the kind of guy you would expect to be producing meth no nope. um <laughs> <laughs> not in the least bit Whoo! his arc is one of the most brutal in the show it's yeah. uh well it's that's tough. that's the thing so let's let's skip right to the punchline here so yeah gail ends up kind of becoming a rival uh to walter because he is like Walter, a trained chemist who actually understands the processes going into the methamphetamine production. And through a series of sort of behind the scenes machinations, it becomes Walter or Gale. And Walter sends Jesse Pinkman, his associate, to kill Gale. And so Gale's defining moment on the show is this, it's not our first peak, but it's one of our only peeks into his actual private life. So we only ever know him as this sort of dorky lab assistant slash, you know, kind of uh, chemist. And we don't know anything about his personal life. You know, is there a family, anything like that? But we see his apartment just, I think, one time before this when he's meeting with Gus. And he's got his teapot and he's, he sing, he's got a little uh, uh, temperature gun that he shoots at the teapot to make sure it's just the perfect temperature. I think he uses loose leaf tea. He's listening to his weird falsetto opera music and singing along with it in extremely fast Italian. And he also sings the elements sometimes. 
He, uh, he's got that karaoke machine, and he's videotaping himself. Earth below us. And yes, I forgot about that part, actually. <laughs> that full video is on YouTube. You can look that up. Oh, my gosh. Um, but, yeah, it's the kind of guy that you hate to see get shot in the face. Yeah. Uh, so this, this point like, blank range. <laughs> oh, yeah. So this whole sequence, it just really underscores the humor, lightness, and just... <laughs> absolute brutality of this show because and we'll talk about this from another perspective a little bit later but this is just one of the most pivotal moments in the show's history and it happens right as this just sort of overgrown infant is singing opera music with his headphones and then just gets shot in the face after begging for mercy yeah like quite convincingly Yes. Like to me. Oh, yeah. He, he was incredible in this scene. I got a lot of money <laughs> and it did not matter. This is no. not the first person that they just like murder for their own ends, but like it's the first time that uh, I think Jesse is implicated in it. And like the first time that it's like a little bit premeditated and less reactionary. This is, I feel like. this is the, f- the biggest and worst sort of murder on the show. Like, this is a person yeah. who, though he is far from innocent, I think all of our visceral reactions to him would paint him as an innocent. And to see him murdered in cold blood after he's begging for his life is different in kind than most of the things that happen on this show. It's definitely an inflection point, because after that, it's like, oh, fuck, these guys are gone. <laughs> yeah, yeah, these, their souls are, are have disappeared. <laughs> these guys, they're going to hell. All right, yeah. Uh, all right, so that's number cool. nine. Number eight is a character who falls into the one-dimensional bucket, but who's really important for the show. And number eight is Tuco Salamanca. So Tuco is sort of the big bad early in the show. And while Tuco really never evolves beyond being a violent and unpredictable uh, drug dealer slash meth user, he does get high on his own supply. Yeah, so uh, like wait, wait, and I need you to, and I'm going to need you in just a minute uh, to come in for that. But so the thing that Tuco contributes to the show is he shows the real danger that is not clear uh, to Walter and to uh, Jesse early on. They think it's all RVs and cooking meth and just eh, a little small time operation. And then they come across Tuco Salamanca and they realize that they're running up against violent hardened criminals who actually know what the hell they're doing and more importantly people that like aren't necessarily like intellectual or rational this is not a rational actor he's not looking for anything logical yeah which is like not something that walter is used to and it's entirely outside the realm of his expertise and watching him come to terms with that early on is riveting fucking television it sure is so the pivotal scene for tuco uh kyle (laughs) walter is trying to walter they've been captured like on his like fucking ranch in the middle of the desert and walter's (laughs) like well here try some of try some of this methamphetamine and uh reasonable so he opens the bag with his knife and he stiffs it up and he goes he has a strong reaction he goes Tight, tight, tight. Whoa! It kicks like a mule. <laughs> that is, and just for the listeners, that is literally a pitch perfect impersonation because Kyle has practiced that a time or two. I, I say, I say tight, tight, tight a lot, and yeah. like 
it's not often that someone is like, are you doing Tuco Salamanca from yeah. like season one of Breaking Bad? But uh, it's fun to say tight, tight, tight. I recommend it. It sure is. I, and I just think this is so important because, to your point, this is Walter exiting a world of order and entering a world of chaos. And <laughs> Tuco is one of his early guides into the underworld. I don't know if we'll be talking about this later, but Walter's direct response to this encounter is like... <laughs> It's awesome because it happens right away and it shows like his absurd capacity to like <laughs> to go the extra mile like with almost no trepidation whatsoever as soon as he re- realizes that he has to. Yep. Um he yeah, he once he crosses a particular threshold, he is very comfortable crossing it again. He's um he's like uh what's his face in uh Green Street uh, yeah. Hooligans, he's like uh, where <laughs> elijah wood yeah where he's like <laughs> he like kills a guy and he's like oh ooh. <laughs> i mean that wasn't so bad that felt <laughs> good <laughs> so that was number eight so kyle could you uh remind me where we go next here well uh we just need a little help from kev to hit that stanky stanky beat <laughs> Mm, mm, mm. Gotta get some lice all up in this bitch. That is stank E. Uh, I think I need some Clorox wipes. I can actually see the stank kind of uh, condensing on the walls in here. And Kyle and I do not dispense professional medical advice in this podcast, but we're we're <laughs> we're broadcasting sometime in March of 2020. Use the Clorox. <laughs> Wash your hands, you you fucking animals. Gargle with Clorox if you need to, but don't swallow it and then sue our asses. Do not swallow it. In fact, just don't gargle any Clorox or Lysol or any. Not a real judge. It's a fabuloso. Yeah. All right. uh, So the not tops. So basically, what I've done for the not tops are characters who were just like too one dimensional and I think could have could have benefited some more fleshing out or who maybe didn't wouldn't have benefited from being fleshed out more but just didn't add that much to me um and this is slim pickings because this show is basically perfect yeah good luck uh so first not top would be Lionel and marco salamanca those are the salamanca brothers uh they are twins yeah they're the twins they're very scary but they i don't think they really speak they serve as effective uh scary people but I don't know. You know, they got dumb boots on and they just shoot people. I will say, well, no, they had those fucking, uh, didn't they have axes or something? Yeah, you scary. are. I know what you're about to I, say and you are right. I will say that, like, that's the whole fucking point. Like, yeah. these, these characters were never written to be interesting. Yeah. Um, they're just meant to be intimidating. So, yeah. success. But I think your point's well taken. So, it's like, okay, whatever. I'm, I'm reaching here. And they do show the flashback of them with their uncle, uncle or, yeah, Uncle Hector. And him force it and them like trying to drown each other. It's pretty pretty fucked. So I don't know. They're pretty good. This this one I'm very confident in. These Ugh. are terrible <laughs> characters, all three of them. Yeah. Uh Diane, Adam, and Jake Pinkman. The entire Pinkman clan is just poorly written and poorly acted. They're bad. I don't fucking remember any of that. That's the, don't you remember the younger brother get has some weed and blames it on Jesse? Only vaguely. Yeah, it's they suck. They're not good. So they're like actually bad characters. Yeah. Um 
The next one, this is, I don't know. I put this on the not tops and now I'm totally regretting it. I I, I don't know. I, I put Tortuga on here just because it is Danny Trejo, but he does get his head chopped off and put on a turtle. On a turtle. I on a turtle. I shat on a turtle. Tortuga. I don't know. I feel a little <laughs> shitty about putting this here. Whatever. He's very one-dimensional. And maybe, you know what? I'm going to call this a not tough because we needed more. How about that? We just, I wanted more Danny Trejo. I, uh, I have someone I would throw in here, but I feel like they, she might be on your list elsewhere. So I, we'll just, I'm happy to, to hold that for now. Okay. All right. Just one more. Um, the last one is Gretchen and Elliot Schwartz. Um, Kind of the same deal. I they just I think they needed to be fleshed out more. I understand that the, it's the um, from the Gray Matter, uh, the co the co founder of Gray Matter, uh, Walt's old lab partner slash girlfriend. So they were really I think important as symbols in Walt's life, and I think there's an argument to be made they were intentionally kind of vague and just shitty because they're really meant to just be like a sort of item from his past, but. I just didn't think there was a lot of tr- lines. I-, I just thought their lines were drawn kind of, you know, too sharply. Yeah. They were just kind of assholes. And I don't know that they really were or needed to be. So. Yeah, I remember there's that, I've got that weird, uh, that brutal line where they're on that interview and they're yeah. like, well, frankly, the only thing we got we got from Walter was the name. It's like, Whoa. yeah. Yeah. So they, I don't know. Brutal. They just kind of suck probably a little too much. I think that lets yeah. I think that lets Walt off the hook a little bit too much by making them such a, such asses. Fair enough. Yeah. So those are my bot. Those are my not tops. But you know, it's pushing it because this is so good. Mm-hmm. All right. Are you ready for uh, to back to the tops? Absolutely. All right. Number seven. A character that a lot of people shat on, but I think very unwisely. Uh, number seven is Skylar White. Now. I think yeah. there's a good argument to be made that in a show as intimate as this about a character with a uh, spouse who figures as prominently into the show as Skylar does, that having her ranked lower than like two tells you that she wasn't as high quality as she should have been. And I think there's something to that. I think that in a show that had this high a level of writing and where Skylar was as big a part of it, I think it's a little bit disappointing that she ended up as what I would consider the seventh best character. But I still think she was a better character than people gave her credit for, and I think there was a lot of misogyny in people finding her frustrating. Just have to remind yourself, she's married to a monster who she didn't know was a monster. That's tough. Scale your scale your reactions appropriately. It's a tough draw, and like they, yeah. I mean, it's kind of funny that like, like myself included, my reactions to her behavior are extremely unfair. Like, like she does some shit, and I'm like, what the fuck? Whereas like Walter is like fucking killing people and like selling drugs that kill people. Yes, and like all these terrible fucking things, and I'm like mostly okay with it yep um and then skylar sleeps with ted and i'm like what the are you kidding me yeah so this is i think what's interesting is i was just listening to um the rewatchables podcast talking about once upon a time in hollywood and it was kind of explaining how the movie uses perspective by setting it through these two guys who view themselves as the heroes of their own stories 
to <laughs> tell the story. And by making them the heroes of their own story, you really see through their eyes and identify with it. And this show does the same thing. If you're Walter, everything that Skylar does pisses you off because it gets in the way of your acquisition of power and influence. And because the show situates us with him, I think it intentionally makes us angry at Skylar. Like it's trying to, it's trying to make us identify. And I know you, that's what you're saying. And I'm just supporting that. I, it's trying to make us Walt. And of course, Walt is mad at her. She's a sensible, normal human being who doesn't want all the <laughs> shit he wants. Yeah, I will say, uh, I think it's also a credit to, I don't know that actress is doing, but she does, a fuck, she does a fucking great job. Yeah. She's a terrific actress, and she did a great job on the show. I, I think that... I think that the character has a cap on it. Like, I think that there's just a ceiling for how good this character ever was going to be because the interactions that she has with Walter for the most part in the show are logistical. It's like, hey, I'm going here. Where are you going? And Oh, why are you going there? It's just, I think it was a story choice that limited her potential would be kind of my ultimate take on it. Is I think she, she talks to Walt about like, are you going to work? Are you going to treatment? Are you watching the kids? Like, it's just, it deals with the day-to-day of his life, which is, I think, he addresses in less nuanced ways. Yeah, I agree. I'd also say that, like, as far as, like, how that character can go, I think they did it, like, as best as they could. Because, like, the alternatives are, like, that. what's so great about that show is that, like, most characters are somewhat gray. And, like, she's included in that. Because if you go one way where she's, like, she like, there's so much like cool stuff like how she helps him launder the money and like like if she's not willing to participate in any of that it's a worse character because that's that's not interesting and then if she's like entirely complicit in it and supportive of him despite all this nonsense that's fucked too and it's not good so like uh i think you're right there are limitations to what you can do with that role but i think they did a really good job with it but i also think it's a credit to the show that i think there are just six more interesting characters that are. yes like i think these are all excellent points and i just one more point too is i think from a pop culture point of view skylar white was unfortunately rolled out just a couple years after carmela soprano and she's a pretty yeah. damn similar character and edie falco put her stamp on carmela soprano in a really unique way and because The Sopranos was, and I think people kind of forget this, was less interested in the actual criminal dealings of Tony Soprano than um, Breaking Bad was in the criminal dealings of Walter White. There's just more time in the show, and it's structured in a way that makes her a more prominent and nuanced character. So I think, I think it was dealing with that, too. Absolutely. Yeah. All right, so number six is... You might be surprised at where this character is ranked. You might think he should be higher, and I'm willing to engage that. But uh, number six is Gustavo Fring. So there are five characters ahead of him who I just think are more ultimately compelling and just nuanced. But Gus is just a cold-blooded assassin. He's one of my favorite villains maybe ever. He's great. (laughs) Yeah. One of the things that I love most about him is that he's brilliant in ways that you can follow. 
So I think a lot of times you watch a movie and either the villain's plans are dumb or they're really smart, but yeah, or they're really smart, but they happen off screen, like their decision making happens off screen. And so you just see it at the, <gasps> the reveal of the plan. Like think about uh, Blackthorn, Black, whatever his name, Blackwood, whatever his name is from uh, the Sherlock Holmes film where it's like, oh yeah, aha, he was wearing the suspenders to stop. It's brilliant. Don't get me wrong, but it's not brilliant in a way that we as viewers can just like follow along with. I think Gus is one of the most strategically genius characters in film or television history, but it's cool because if you're really paying attention, you can actually keep up with his moves. He reminds me of Hans Gruber. Like you can watch. Yes. Like you can, you can actually watch the gears turning in his head and it's like he's playing chess. Like the good example is the, um, the box cutter episode. I was just, that's actually exactly where my brain went. Because you can actually see him, like, considering his moves, and he makes a choice and, like, acts on it. And it's the right choice. And, yep. like, it's not one that you expect him to make, but he does. And, I don't know. Like, there's something very cool about a villain that's, uh... It's funny to call... It's funny to classify him as, like, a villain, because... Yeah, yeah. The true villain of this show is not him. But yeah. it's fun to be scared of somebody that's so in control... Yeah. Um, and that's why he's so scary. Like that scene when uh, he's cooking at his house. I, that's, the, it's, that's the other scene I was thinking of because it's, so, it's just so iconic. Yeah. He's an all-timer. And he's really good in The Mandalorian. <laughs> he sure is. I, I actually, really quickly, I forgot Skylar's moment. Uh, the Skylar, the defining Skylar moment for me is the scene when uh, she tells Walt not to tell him, uh, tell her that he did it for them, you know. It's it's the it it boils down their entire relationship, which is that she's kind of okay with whatever he does, you know, to a point, as long as he's honest about it, and he never is until that moment. So that was I forgot to mention that for her. That scene is devastating. It's, uh, it's <laughs> one of the most difficult things to watch in the history of television. It's just perfect. Her like sitting in that stupid shitty kitchen that is like. Not where she's supposed to be and, like, smoking that stupid fucking cigarette is, like, the saddest, like, it's the worst thing I've ever seen with my eyeballs. It's awful. It's awful. <laughs> um, but to go back to Gus, so Gus is a uh, defining moment for me. The, the center of his brilliance strategically is, and similar to what I was kind of saying about how you can kind of follow it if you're really paying attention, is his scheme to take out... The drug kingpin Don Eladio. Uh, yes. Yeah. So, like, the, the the long story behind this is that Don Eladio uh, killed his friend many years ago and is, like, the big kingpin in Mexico. And when Gustavo Frank came up as a young Chileno and tried to, like, hook up with the big Mexican cartels, Don Eladio uh, killed his friend and then... His pollo hermano. Yeah. Basically just made him his pawn for many years and gus didn't like that and stewed on it for many many years finally goes back to mexico he poisons don eladio and all of his uh lieutenants and uses this poison tequila but drinks it himself but has already given himself a pill and vomits and then has a hospital set up it's a whole thing where basically everybody drinks poison tequila and dies except for him because he rushes himself to a hospital, saves himself, and takes out all of his biggest rivals. It's executed to perfection. And it's just mm, beautiful. 
That's an incredible scene. And like it's it's like the perfect uh perfect way to let you know like <laughs> not to fuck with this guy. Like he's serious. <sighs> yeah, he's a serious man. That that is not a man to be effed with. I also love how he like politely deals with customer complaints at Paul oh, Armando. So like, great. And but not like it is funny. I think this is true of the show in general. Like the funny moments generally serve more of a purpose than just comedic relief. Yep. Like like him doing that is another it's it is funny, but it's another example of how he's just like such a professional at what he's doing. Um and like has elevated this to a business. Yep. And it's really that's fun, that's fun, some fun shit. Yeah. Some good shit, man. All right, uh, and I actually want to make one quick clarification that I should have made up front. I am only considering, for the purposes of this list, the events of Breaking Bad. I am not considering the El Camino film or Better Call Saul in terms of oh. rankings. So that's that's it. good because for some reason I haven't seen El Camino. I don't really know like yeah. why I haven't. But, Foolishness, so. but we, it just I won't spoil either of those things. But I also am not putting those into the machine because that will yeah would come into fair. play. So number five is. Jimmy McGill, a.k.a. Saul Goodman. So wow. why don't you tell the audience about Saul Goodman? Well, Saul Goodman is not a criminal lawyer. Mm-mm. He's a criminal lawyer. I don't remember why he gets pulled in initially. Yeah, there. I, I was reading it on Wikipedia yesterday, and I forget already. It doesn't matter, but I do remember how it happens. Yes, and that's how, the important they, part. They drag him out to the desert and put a bag on his head, and he's like, "Whoa, guys! I, we can we can figure this out. I can help you out. You have to give me a dollar though, because then I'm your lawyer." And they're like, "Are you fucking serious?" He's like, "No, I'm serious. You have to put a dollar in my hand, and then I will be your lawyer, and then I can like legally help you." It's like the perfect entrance into this character that, if we were taking into account Better Call Saul, like I'm confident he would be either one or two yeah, on this like list. Potential, like, like, I just want to say, like, potentially yeah, number like, one. Like, he's one of the greatest, like, characters ever. <laughs> and he's one of the funniest, one of the funniest characters on the show. But uh, what I like so much about him is that he serves kind of a meta purpose of, like, one, he has to teach Walter and Jesse, like, how to be criminals. Which is hilarious, but, because his job, theoretically, is to, you know, uphold and defend the law. But, like, just as importantly, he's teaching the viewer, like, how to be criminals. Yeah. Like, you learn most of the things that you need to know about how this works through Saul. Yeah, cell um, phones and, like, criminal prosecution and laws around racketeering and, like, just... Kind of the logistics. Contacts, yep. money laundering, yep. like all this stuff that like would be normally tedious and problematic to explain all of a sudden becomes a huge strength of the show because Saul is involved. And that mm-hmm. I think is an important logistical move. Yeah. But on top of that, Bob Odenkirk's like, like the fucking man. He and is like, the man. <laughs> he's so good. And this like was definitely, thank God for this show because now I've, he's been in so much other stuff. Yeah. He was great in Little Women. He was really good in uh, um, The Spectacular Now. I don't know if you saw that. No. With Miles Teller. Oh, God. So, anyways, someday we'll do a Better Call Saul pod and we can talk about Saul Goodman for an hour plus. But uh, that show doesn't happen if he's not such a huge part of this show. No. that's that. I mean, I think as much as anything that's the argument for is, like, he was so good that they felt compelled to write 
an exceptionally meaningful and uh, warranted spinoff. So the the one I put um, for my defining moment for him is actually not one of his funny moments. It's one of his most serious moments because Saul has this tendency to, in a lawyerly way, say something very serious but couch it in in legalese to make it seem like he. I'm not saying it. I'm, it's it's like the people are saying. I'm not saying people are saying. Uh, so uh, Walt is having problems with Jesse, and Walt uh, is like just wondering what is he supposed to do. How can he rein Jesse in? And Saul tells him he refers to Jesse as old Yeller and tells him to kill him. And it's like. Egad, it's the first time that the show seriously considered the possibility that Walter would kill Jesse, and the suggestion comes from the central comic character in the show. Like, the funniest character on the show suggests killing the saddest, most pitiable character on the show. Wow. I forgot about that, but now that you're saying it, it they're in his office, right? And mm-hmm. he's, they're talking. A hundred percent. And it's That's a lot of that is self-preservation. Yeah. He's yeah, he has a couple scenes like like late in the show when he's helping them figure out like where they're gonna go and what they're gonna do. And he has that great line he says, I'm lucky in six months I'm managing a Cinnabon in Omaha. It's, it's perfect. <laughs> and then it's so good. And then of course yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> I love his stupid fucking office and that oh, stupid the shitty constitution op- behind and, him. And this like the fucking um that blow-up Statue of Liberty and the stupid strip mall. Like, everything about Huel, everything about that is amazing. It's so good. Is his other henchman... I don't know why, in my head, I thought, like, the other guy that h- hangs out with Huel is Bill Burr. It I is think just Bill Burr. The guy that looks- no, no, it's Bill oh, Burr. Oh, it is Bill Burr? Oh, it's Bill Burr. Okay. It's Q- It's Kubi. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's Bill Burr, baby. Uh, the one who pulls off the, the scam with um, Bogdan and all that. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Are you happy, Hill? Yeah. So <laughs> reasonably, reasonably. <laughs> uh, so that's number five. Number four is a character. I just want to go on record. If you asked me at the end of season one, who is like the weakest character on the show? Who's who's not good? You're not going to care about caricature. Blah blah blah. I would have said this character. When this character was killed right near the end of the show, I was deeply affected by this but also saw a character take a journey from I saw a character develop organically. Nothing drastic changed. They didn't rewrite the character. He just developed and I learned more about him in a way that made me appreciate him in a way I never would have imagined. So number 4 is Hank Schrader. I can't there are very few TV or I guess movie deaths that I can remember being more affecting than Hanks. It's, like, it's truly, like, shocking when it happens. I mean, like, it builds up, and, like, you kind of see it coming, but, like, not only in that episode. Like, you don't really see it coming prior to that. don't believe it could happen. Right. And then that, when he says, um, what does he say to Walter? He's like, you just, you're, like, too fucking stupid to get it. Yeah. Like, this asshole decided ten minutes ago. Yes. And yeah, he's, uh, uh, he's, like, he knows he's gonna be killed. He just knows. Because he knows. Because unlike his asshole brother-in-law, 
He's not a fucking idiot. He's a guy who's been in this world for a long time. He knows what these people are like. What I also think is really important about Hank is that unlike Walter, he has like the emotional reactions of a normal human being. So like I think specifically of um like cuz Walter just like doesn't like ultimately he doesn't care about anybody but himself. Truly. No buddy. Nobody, like not even really Skylar or Walt. Like it's actually pretty stunning and especially not Jesse. No. But but Hank uh, when the the scene I'm thinking of specifically is when um he opens up leaves of grass and sees the, the so that's so that's that's my moment that was what I put talk it through when so he I don't the the specific logistics of it I don't remember, yeah there's there's a, there's an inscription that he sees at Gail's house in the files that's d- ww he has yeah he, like Walter has Gail's book in their bathroom and he sees the inscription. And the, yeah, it says WW, and basically he, this is the piece that he now understands that Walt is Heisenberg, and like he like like his vision gets blurred, and he like can't stand up, and he's like staggering around and sweating because that's the reaction that a person would have if they realized that their brother-in-law, the father of <laughs> his nephew, yep. was responsible for the deaths of like at this point like dozens of people. Not, and that's without even considering the addicts who are using the the product right. that he's making. Exactly. So, like, I, that, to me... Because, like, it, it that... I think the show, in a way, can... In, probably intentionally, it kind of um, inures you or desensitizes you to what's actually happening. And Hank is a really good reminder of, like, just how serious it is. And I think that's why he's, in, like, a really important character. Especially towards the end of the show. Yeah, because I think as the the things get bigger and the the drama gets crazier, it's just it's important to remember just the wide ranging impact of what Walter has been doing. And Hank, Hank is no nonsense. He's like, this is this is wrong. What like how do you not see this? This is wrong. Yeah, absolutely. And on top of that, he's just like a good. Like he's a good guy. Oh, like all, he tur- like that, all the, yes, that's important. Please, like all the legwork he does, like kind of looking after Walt Junior when Walter won't, and like even looking after him, like in defiance of Walter, like when he uh, bakes him drink all that tequila. I was gonna say that's one of the, actually that might be another one I would call the defining moment. That was one of the best episodes he had. Yeah, he's just like a good fucking guy, and like. He earns the respect of his colleagues. Like everyone at the at the DEA like fucking loves him. And like he's a he's an accomplished uh you know professional and a great husband and a great uncle and all these different things and it uh man. Yeah. Oof. And he's just he's so. just deeply supportive of all the people around him. And it's funny because at, right off the bat, my inclination is to identify with and like a Walter type character who seems who seems thoughtful and who seems generous and seems considerate and to dislike somebody like Hank, who seems to be the opposite of those things. And who at first is kind of a douche, but like, but is, but is, but you realize that he, he doesn't change from douche to not douche. He just reveals himself to be not a douche. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's exactly. Just, it's really important. 
It's really he's a great character. He's such a counterbalance from like the perspective of masculinity. He's just the opposite yep. type of man from Walt. Yeah, absolutely. Basically, everything Walt is, he's not. It's it's. All right, so those are that. That takes us to number three. So we're, I'm just going to do a couple of honorables real quick. Uh, like okay. I'm just going to have to blast through this because there's a lot of yeah. people left. All right, so um, Todd Alquist, um, just Jesus fuck dark ass mother effer uh, plays a similar role to Tuco, just making you realize how deep Walt is. Um, Hector Salamanca, a character who cannot speak but who conveys so much with just looks and gestures. Like a really stunning job by that actor. He is incredible. Yeah. Um, yeah. Badger and Skinny Pete, two of the funniest characters in television history, uh, who play a big and really interesting role in El Camino, particularly Skinny Pete. Like you get so much more Skinny Pete than you ever thought you would get. And he's great. So Badger and Skinny Pete. Uh, a character who I think in somebody else's list might be right near the top, but didn't make it for me, but is, is really important is Jane Margulis, um, who was Jesse's girlfriend. I just think she wasn't a big enough, long enough part of the show. It's just reps, but she's incredibly impactful while she's there. And Kristen Ritter is awesome. Um, just really important yep. view of the life that Jesse could have had. Uh, Lydia Rodart Quail. Uh, I would have put her in the not top. She, well, she sucks. So I didn't put her in the not top because I think she's a really important version of an abominable person because she puts on such a presentable corporate face and is a deeply evil person, like deeply evil, but doesn't appear that way. And I think serves an important function on the show of demonstrating that the villains don't always look the way you think they look. Now, obviously, we get that lesson delivered to us through Walter White, but I think delivered in a different package from a... I mean, it's it's important that she's a woman, and it's important that she's sitting in a corporate setting and still is just as evil and just as kind of violent in her own way as Walter. Yep. Be uh, careful around Stevia, kids. And then, of course, uh, a young man who loves breakfast uh, more than anybody, uh, Walter White Jr., Flynn. Flynn. Uh, and then my extended honorables, who I'm just going to mention real quickly, Ted Beneke. Don't forget, he's a good character. Uh, Steve yeah. Gomez, another one who's very good. Um, Gomez like, is great. Gomez is a great actor. The actor does just a terrific job on the show. Um, two characters who are just hilarious, Kubi and Huel. Uh, Huel, how are you feeling? Are you satisfied? Or reasonably reasonably uh and then a character who was great early on but then you don't get much of later um carmen so carmen molina the i think the principal or one of the teachers uh slash walter's co-workers she's actually really good you forget because she disappears pretty early on in the show but she's actually really good what about crazy eight so I didn't put Crazy Eight in there. Um, my three could have used more, so I really liked are the NA group leader, um, the guy who leads the discussions in Jesse's uh, addiction group. He's actually oh, really yeah. good. I liked him. Um, Bogdan was just like hilarious, and I did more of his eyebrows. And then Old Joe, the guy who what worked- am I to do, Walter? <laughs> old Joe, the guy who works at the uh, the um, the dump. Oh yeah, I like that guy. Hopefully it would. What does he say? He's like, take out any rings you got in your prick. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I forgot of that line. Yeah. That was a good line. That's a good one. I forgot about that whole fucking mag- magnets. <laughs> also, that 
didn't we talk about that on crazy movie schemes and how fucking dumb that whole plan is? Yeah, it's ridiculous. <laughs> Don't care. Love that. And I love old Joe. Yeah, give me more old Joe. Um, any more kind of honorables that you think? Because I mean, you I'm sure you know who the top three are. So any honorables who you think you can mention here? Uh, no, I absolutely know who the top three are. The only other guy I really like and I want more of is uh, that rival drug dealer that looks like Wolverine. Oh, I forgot about him. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I think he was good. I think Walter, like, actually calls him a Wolverine wannabe. Like, um, I I really like that guy, even though Walter, like, basically calls him a bitch and, like, makes him sniff his butt. But, like, he's he's the one who says, say my name, right? Yeah. And he's, like, tells him that he's selling, like, knockoff Coke. And, uh, yeah, that that's, like, I mean, he's, like, on the receiving end of, like, a enormous dick slap. But I really like that guy. But. Mostly because he looks like Wolverine. Yeah, that's my big that's my big pro for him. Um, all right, so number three is just one of the most multifaceted characters in television history. An incredible, an incredible <laughs> like I don't know. I'm trying to think of the right term for him. Like he's not a he's not a killer. He's he's not a. I guess he's a fixer. Maybe he's a fixer. Like, He's a handyman. He's a handyman. He's one of the most versatile characters in television history. Number three is, of course, the incomparable Mike Ermintrout. Did you get your car fixed? What are, are you going to want to? You're going to want to get your car fixed. So, Mike has no affect. Like, none. It's You know those pictures? I'm trying to remember who it is now. It's uh, Ron Swanson, right? Where it shows, like, happy, sad uh depressed horny like but it's all the same picture of ron swanson that would be the same for mike ermin trout mike is is kind of a fixer for the uh fring drug organization and he comes you know into tighter orbit with jesse and walt as time goes by and he's just this gruff old man who actually has much more of a, a soul and a compass than you think and over time, more and more of it's revealed. And again, I know we're not taking this uh, into account, but his his work on Better Call Saul and it, it. Oh, my God. Season four. He's he has a relationship in season four that you have no idea about until you see it. And it's just perfect. He's incredible. But um, Jonathan Banks is. He's stunning how good of an actor he is, given the constraints on this performance, that it has to be so tightly controlled. Why don't we have more of him? I don't mean Mike. Like, why don't we have more of Jonathan Banks? Like, I don't know. Maybe, and I'm just saying, like, just positing this. Maybe he really can only play this character. I don't know how that's possible because this character is so many things in one that it implies to me he's capable of doing a lot of things. But I, I don't know. I remember he was, uh, he was Commissioner Gordon's voice, voice in uh, the last Batman game. Oh yeah. And apart from that... He was Ben's oh. dad on Parks and Rec. <laughs> yeah, he was uh, one of the guy that uh, Liam Neeson drinks with in The Commuter. He was in uh, The Incredibles 2. He's the voice of Rick Dicker, the agent that's like always like moving him and everything. I forgot about that. But like that's it, yeah. really. And one of the things that I love about his character is he wears those uh, members-only jackets and looks like and he drives like a shitty old car. He looks like somebody my Uncle Lou definitely is friends with. And yeah. you know 
if you're smart, that those are the most dangerous guys. Like, this is, I think he's a lesson in understanding who the dangerous people are. There are a couple groups that I stay away from. One is guys like this. Like, old school guys who you know wouldn't hesitate to put two in the back of your head. And I try to really avoid the skinny white dudes who look like they have wiry strength and are from South Boston. Those guys are not to be messed with. Those are my two groups. Yeah, and, like, Mike looks like a former cop. Like, it makes sense that he is. Yeah. Um, Using that, could you could you actually talk about Mike's best moment? Because it, it uh, relates to his time as a police officer. He imparts a, a valuable lesson to our boys. Well, I, don't, I wonder if you're, if you're thinking of the same. I, I imagine it's the same. But uh, after Walter manages to off his biggest rival, um, he finds frustratingly that it's hard to just pick up where gus left off and like continue selling on all the same corners and basically continuing to run the business even with mike's help and mike tells walter just because you shot jesse james doesn't mean you get to be jesse james (laughs) it's like 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 when he speaks those words it's just it, it is a universal truth like there's no disputing it it's like it's like god said that to you um, which is what makes it so, like, sad and, like, unsettling when he later on dies. It's, yeah. like, it's, like, one of the most, not more upsetting than Hank's, but, like, it's really fucking upsetting because it's so muted. It's wrong. Um, it's, like, it's, like, in Harry Potter when they describe how strange it is to live in a post-Dumbledore world, that it's just weird that this force of nature is no longer there. Yeah, in such a stupid, like senseless way yeah um what i was trying to get out of you though was his story uh, about the types of measures that you can take oh yeah yeah yeah. so i was thinking of the wrong story go ahead um yeah so so basically there's this whole situation where we're trying to figure out how best to position ourselves within the fring organization you know who do we kill? Do we take out the people who are fighting with Jesse? Do we kill Jesse? Do we kill everybody? What what do we do to make sure we are situated properly in the Frank organization? Do we kill Gail Bedecker? What do we do to make sure that Walter White is going to exclusively be the cook for the Frank organization? And he has a conversation with Mike, and Mike explains to him the problem with taking half measures. He talks about his time as a police officer, how there was this guy who they'd always be getting calls about because this guy had this girlfriend who he would beat up and they would come to the house and they would say, hey, you know, come on, knock it off. And they'd say, do you want to press charges to her? And she'd say no. And then they would come back and the same thing would happen again. And he talks about how one time, you know, he went off a little crazier than usual. And so he took this guy out to the desert and he put his pistol to his head and he said he says you know and he was going to the bathroom in his pants and crying and he basically threatens i'm gonna do such and such and so and so and he threatens the guy and he basically sends him back to his house and the next time they get a call it's because the guy caved this girlfriend's head in with a blender i think it was he ends up killing her and he goes and he says there's so much blood he can taste it and taste the iron in the air. And he gives this story and he obviously gives it much more eloquently than I just did. And he basically just ends it with, and that's why you don't go with half measures. 
And the story is you don't start something that you can't finish. And it's one of the best stories within a story of my entire career reading, listening, and watching stories. And it's delivered with such deep feeling and anger, like seething anger by a person whose voice never leaves this register. <sighs> that is an intense scene. I'm, su- I'm, I'm mad that I uh, didn't catch the hint you were sending my way, but that is easily his defining scene in the show. All right, so that brings us to number two. Number two. A character who evidently was supposed to be killed off after, like, season one or season two. Yeah. A, a guy we meet as Captain Cook. He is... Uh, That's right. It's on his license plate. <laughs> on his license plate. He confesses right there at the beginning. A uh, young man who does not follow any of the rules of drug dealing. You know, he does get high on his own supply. He's oh, yeah. a man who, uh, through his romantic uh, entanglings, actually gets us the only pair of boobs on the show's history. Yeah. Guy who makes sort of homemade craft meth. And uh, that young man, his name is uh, Jesse Pinkman. Jesse Pinkman, a man who could easily have been a nothing character who was just high all the time. And that was not how that turned out. No. He, man, he really goes through quite a bit on this show. Like, like he doesn't die like no, almost incredibly. everybody else does. But, yeah. But, like, if you think about all the shit that happens to him, like, all the shit with Jane, like, that's enough emotional baggage for... You know, most people yep. just right there. His girlfriend but then got... overdoses directly next to him while oh, yeah. his and... partner watches. Ooh. <laughs> uh, and then he uh, then he finds someone else who he finds he can actually really love and who uh... seems to appreciate him. That is... That was a lot. Uh, and For her then to get he's... capped? Oh, yeah. I had and forgotten then he... she got capped, actually, until recently. And then he is forced to make meth as like a sl- like basically a slave. Yeah. So like over the course of a couple years of this show, like things have gone very very poorly for Jesse. And of course, uh, we'll talk about his defining moment shortly. But he also is forced to do things that he never thought he would do. Um, I mean, Aaron Paul is just a truly remarkable actor. Oh yeah, he does such a convincing job of going through the ups and downs of chronic drug use. I think my favorite scene of him as a user is the scene where he's in the diner with Mike and Mike is sort of handing over his food to him and trying to tell him he has to eat. Uh, It's a really important and well done scene for both of them, but it's just, it's very visceral. I think for me as, as somebody who has not experienced drug use firsthand, it can be hard to identify with sort of some of the like really severe issues of doing drugs and obviously them withdrawing from it. But like understanding that this is a person who's, you know, 30 years old, maybe 25, whatever age he is, he loves nasty ass greasy food and his experience with drugs doesn't allow him to even eat that. He has no appetite. And just watching Aaron Paul, turn that into sort of physical gestures and moves. It's so well done. Like the physical acting is just terrific. Yeah. Uh, 
this was definitely I've, I've never seen him in anything before this like yeah. this it, you, you can't come away from this show and not think that he's stupendous um i don't know it's it's like his his arc in some ways is like even more interesting than walter's because it's like it's like i guess it's like they're actually just like exact opposite arcs where yeah, yeah and then a like a way of putting it they pass. like somewhere in the somewhere in the middle they, they intersect and like that's when everything is like perfect is when they like both have the same appetite and then walter's appetite continues to grow and jesse's like all right like we don't made a lot remember of remember money. he's there there's the scene where they're talking about the money and he's like don't you have enough yeah and jesse actually believes it he's not full of shit like walter he's not a good person we're not I, this is not a jesse is a good person podcast he's no. he's a very broken person he had a tough upbringing Things didn't go well for him. A lot of people told him he was stupid or nothing. And he's had a hard life and he goes through a lot and he brings a lot of it upon himself. But he is a person with a soul. Ultimately, Walter is a person who really doesn't have a soul. Jesse has a soul and it's scarred and it's damaged and it's wounded. But it's it is there and it and it shows up throughout the show. And he tries so many times to get out of the situations that he finds himself in. And it's just, he tragically just can't, he's just can't. Well, well, and what makes the show so good is it's not like he can't because he's incapable of doing it himself. It's because Walter just like, won't fucking let him go. Yep. Um, and that becomes like more and more obvious as the show goes on. But, uh, and that is like kind of what fuels, I imagine your number, obviously, yeah. your number one choice is Walter. Yeah, but let's just, Jesse's defining moment is killing Gail Bedeker. Oh, yeah. It's it's <sighs> one of the hardest things I've ever watched as a as a fan of television and film. And, you know, the long story of it is that Jesse is not a violent person. Like I said, flawed, deeply flawed, not violent. He doesn't believe in it. He's not interested in it. He gets beaten up plenty of times, but he never is a person who takes joy in violence. Um, but because of their situation, he has to, and Walter sends him to kill Gail Bedecker, who is a guy he doesn't know, really a guy who is sweet, again, flawed, but sweet and kind of seems innocent and who begs for his life. And the show finishes with Jesse Pinkman wordlessly shooting this guy in the face. And it's just, it's this moment when you see somebody try to take his soul from him this this devil walter white is forcing him into a world where he's a killer now and importantly like it's like it's it's so devastating to watch because jesse's the door he opens the door and jesse's just standing there with the gun and he's like it's not like he shoots him right there he like he can't fucking do it for like probably a full probably a minute like on screen probably on screen time of like a minute or so he's just and he's like crying and like shaking because like he's not well i guess he is he's capable of killing someone but like only when backed into a corner like this um and that's a credit to aaron paul because it's like devastatingly hard to watch but yeah so yes so that takes us to number one uh I, you know, within the show and in culture, the probably the most important TV character of the last 20 years. I mean, it's Tony yeah. Soprano, him and Daenerys Targaryen. 
probably or or like and maybe Don Draper. Yeah. You know, Michael Scott. Like those are those are the TV characters of the past however many years. Walter Hartwell White, uh, you know, he starts the show as a high school chemistry teacher. He ends as a killing machine. I I almost said heartless killing machine. He was heartless all along and that's the trick. That's the trick. Yeah. That's the genius of this show is that it doesn't show a man losing his soul. It shows an audience discovering that this guy never had a soul. And that's it's, And him and him kind of discovering it himself. Yeah. Like like I like his listlessness and his apathy and just kind of like general floating like state that he's in the beginning of the show is because he's not aware of what is inside him i guess and the more and more he realizes what is like the more of an engaged and like vibrant character he is that's first of all expertly written but more importantly it's like well like it would be the defining act of anyone's career but brian cranston is like this role is so it's it's amazing and you have to give just an immense amount of credit to vince gilligan and their staff for taking a chance on him i had heard you know i'm sure you've heard this too that matthew broderick was in consideration for this role and i think that there would have been a temptation to take sort of a classically trained dramatic actor with a demonstrated ability to play something this serious but I think you would have run the risk of dehumanizing this role and making it too serious. Brian Cranston is not somebody whose resume screams he should play the most important dramatic television role of, you know, ever. But they took a chance on him and God, were they rewarded. He's just he's pitch perfect every second of every episode of the entire series. He's perfect. Perfect. Yeah. Um, I read... That it was late in season like five, maybe. I don't remember when it happened exactly, but George R. R. Martin tweeted um, that he'd never written a character as evil as Walter White. And it's that, true. <laughs> and that he hoped someday to. Like, it, like, if you think about it in those terms, it's like, really? Like, George R. R. Martin has written some pretty heinous characters, but like, in many ways, I think that he's right because, like, I can't think of a character in Thrones that so flippantly just, like, dismisses the concerns and cares of the people he's supposed to love most. Yep. Like, most people, at least in in, in George's universe, like, even if they are despicable, they do the things they do, like, actually, genuinely, not selfishly, and typically for someone they love whether or not they should love that person whatever yeah um or or because they're like just like depraved yes yeah depraved yes so that's the important thing is like when you're talking about like ramsey bolton he's depraved he's he's ramsey joffrey like they don't they're they're mad and they're more mad than they are evil like walter is worse than they are because like he doesn't have an excuse and like (laughs) He's supposed to be a caregiver and a lover and a husband and a father, and he's just fucking not. And he's supposed to be a friend. I would say the closest and, character in Game of Thrones to him is Tywin Lannister. Like, and even that doesn't totally do it because I do think he actually cares about his kids. 
Some of them. Yeah. I think, like, yeah, it's he's close. Um, but, and, like, a lot of his motivations are self, self-propelling. self But, like, yeah. Walter is despicable. <laughs> yep. So, but, but and what's incredible is you and I are being a little reductive because we're looking back over the course of a show and saying he's purely, you know, despicable and all that stuff. He's despicable with incredible nuance in the way that that's portrayed and the way that that develops and manifests itself. Like, he's not just some evil asshole the whole time. He, he Again, yeah. the point is he is. But the way it shows itself to him and to his, you know, people around him and to us takes a long time to reveal itself and is portrayed really beautifully. And, you know, it's, it's funny, like, he always... He always does the wrong thing. Always. It's there's a there's a great scene in Scent of a Woman, um, you know, Al Pacino movie. It's one of my favorite scenes. It's my dad's favorite scene. It's the end of this movie, and this character's talking about this young kid who's being accused of doing something wrong and just saying, like, this kid's a good kid. And he talks about his own life and he says, I always knew what the right path was, without exception. And I never took it. Because it was too damn hard and that's walter he never takes the right path ever no and yeah to reiterate your point like now it's easy to say that he's despicable but the trick and the mastery of the show is that you realize it over time and um and like you find yourself like we were talking about with skylar earlier like you root for this motherfucker like the whole time Basically the entire time. It's only after I think Hank dies that you're finally like, this guy needs to go. Yeah, it's unforgivable. Um, Everything that's happened is, it's uh, irredeemable. It's, it's evil. It's evil. It, it becomes, it's evil. And I think you start to feel that, especially when he starts to associate with the white supremacists, because, you know, you kind of, you come around, at least I do, like, I think you look at Gus, for example. Gus grew up in an impoverished back nation as a farm boy who knew about the drug trade and not a lot else, you know, not a good thing that he developed into, but you can understand point A to point B, you know, Jack Welker and the whole clan of white supremacists are just evil, hateful people who do what they do because they want to do it. And that Walter would willingly associate himself with them. It's alarming because there's nobody who would stand on the side of those people and say that there's any reason to what they do. They're just evil. They're Nazis. They're evil, bad people. And he wants to associate with them. You're making me want to rewatch this and bringing back fond memories. Aaron and I watched like a season and a half of this over the course of a weekend when I was visiting her over winter break or something. I watched the whole, the entirety of the show in an alarmingly short period. You of time. did. It's it was so incredible. I think you passed me. I was like four and a half seasons ahead of you, and I think you passed me. We watched like it was the thing where like we watched like two seasons in two days or something yeah. like that. Um. So yeah, but anyways, and I put sorry. as his defining moment. I mean, there's a million, but the one I put just that I think captures him best is the "I am the one who knocks" speech. It's just it's the perfect encapsulation of. He's towering vanity and just the ego on him and his motivation. It's just, it's, it's great. It's a classic speech. I'm sure you've seen it. It's, it's sort of the defining scenes of the show. So it's yeah. a, it's a great pick. One last question I have for you. And yeah. I think I know the answer is where do you fall on the, on the fly episode debate? 
Oh, I'm very pro. Extremely pro. You know, Ryan Johnson wrote that, right? Or he... I I do. Yeah, he dir- I think he directed way? it. Yeah. yeah, I think he directed it. Yeah. He may have even written it, but I, he definitely directed it. Yeah. Amazing. Extremely Anyways, pro to fly. Uh, I love episodes like that. Like the it's like the Johnny Karate Super Terrific Happy Hour or whatever it's called. It's just like that. <laughs> just like that. But. Wow. Great great idea, Mike. Um you're getting me riled up. I'm gonna probably watch some better call salt tonight, I hope. Beautiful. Beautiful. Uh I don't do you want to re-rank or do you want me to just run through? Oh no, this is this list is flawless. Um okay. Please re-rank. Please just recap for us. All right. Marie Schrader, number 10. Number 9, Gail Bedecker. Number 8, Tuco Salamanca. Number 7, Skylar White. Number 6, Gustavo Frang. Number 5, Saul Goodman. Number 4, Hank Schrader. Number 3, Mike Armentrout. Number 2, Jesse Pinkman. And number 1, Walter Hartwell White. So, my friend, that is our top 10 Breaking Bad characters. Really, really good stuff, Mike. Uh, before we go, I will say a big thank you to Kevin McLeod for putting together our stanky, stanky beats thank and you, the Kevin. intro music, which is less stanky, but still quite good. I would also like to say thank you to my dear sister, Erin, who put together our artwork. I love the artwork. I really do. Um, if you love it and you want to see more of the stuff that Erin does with her talents, of course, you could always go over to Saint Design on Instagram and you would see it there. Damn right, and I would like to thank our social media director, Caroline Labretti, my lovely fiancé. You can check out her work for Mm -hmm. us, primarily on our Instagram, which is top10km, that 10 is spelled out T-E-N. If you want to check out any of her other stuff, she's at cml.photos on Instagram. Some great content there. Uh, I'll also mention that we have an email top10km at gmail.com don't forget to send us an email tell us that you hate everything about Breaking Bad it's a terrible show and you want us to do this for a different show so I will then pivot back to the podcast app I'm sure you're listening to us on some sort of podcast app but if you're looking for another one we're on all the big ones Apple Podcast app, Stitcher, Spotify Podbean, pretty much wherever podcasts can be found so dog, that is what I have to say I would say that's all there is to say, Michael. And uh, with that, I will bid you adieu. Oh, you know what we should say? If anyone has listened this far, we do still want to do a best albums of 2019. I've had a couple people ask me about that. 100%. If anyone's listening still, send us your albums. Uh, Let's talk to Caroline about getting a post up for that. Because that was a fun episode last year. And I think we should do it again. And served me extremely well. Sent me Lord Huron, which was a huge get. For sure. All right, now I think we're done. All right. See you, homie. Peace.